0: You're listening to Restaurant Unstoppable, and this is episode 376.
1: Do what scares you, um, and you generally won't regret it. So I just packed up all my shit with Chicago.
0: Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable Toast is a simple restaurant platform only for restaurants that connects the POS system to online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting. You get the picture. This sucker is all in one. And recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment, and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast by the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to POS.toastab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes. You have to use my links. Have you heard of Watsy, aka the work opportunity tax credit? Well, hire me is a platform that connects amazing employers with amazing hourly workers and it can hook you up with some watsi. To learn more head over to restaurantunstoppable.hireme.com. That's hireme h i g h e r m e. And if you contact Hireme about Watsi services for a limited time, you will get 3 free months with their featured hiring software. Get on it. So with excitement Allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Tristan Raitt. Chef Tristan Raitt, my man, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today.
1: I'm feeling terribly unstoppable.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, before <laughs> we get started, I just want to take a moment to uh, send out a special thanks to a few of the guys out in Charlottesville uh, that made some of these connections come together. Brooks Tanner uh, introducing me to so many great people. Uh, Curtis Shaver. Uh, the chef over there at Hamilton uh, put me up, gave me a couch and a bed to sleep on. And uh special thanks to uh, Sean Dart, who is... Uh, I don't know his exact title, but he's pretty great when it comes to audio equipment. And he gave me some pointers on audio recording. Uh, the people out in Charlottesville are just awesome. So I just want to take this moment to thank those guys for the incredible hospitality and the generosity. Uh, and they helped me connect with you. So I can't wait to dive into this. Yeah. So uh, real quick, let me just give the listeners an idea of who we're talking to while in high school, chef Tristan rate got his start as a dishwasher at the, at a bakery. And he continued to work hard and climb the ladder to become a sous chef at Parsons chicken and fish in Chicago. Along the way, he had a few stints as uh, a touring guitarist and eventually found his way back to the kitchen. At some point he found himself in Charlottesville, Virginia. And in 2014, he opened Oak Heart Social, which has since been just a hotspot in Charlottesville and just getting tons of great respect and uh, acknowledgement from peers and uh, guests alike. But man, I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Uh, we start every episode by getting that motivational and inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you have for us?
1: Well, um, something that I try to live my life by is something that my grandma told me. On her deathbed, Oh man. which is a very bright spot to start. Um, but she, uh, she, her last words to me were, make it exciting. And I've lived by that since I was, I guess, 15.
0: Man, make it exciting. So dive into that, Chef. How have you made your life exciting? Give us some examples.
1: <laughs> I suppose ultimately by just really never, never saying no. which I'm learning now isn't, isn't necessarily the best way to go. (laughs) Um, But if if you, uh, if you say yes to things, particularly the ones that scare the crap out of you, um, you generally end up with a good story.
0: I think, I think that's great advice. And I think that's something, and you make a good point. I think early on in your career, say yes, if figure your shit out. Find out what resonates with yeah. you. Get experience, live. And as you live, you're going to, you know, get clarity on what matters to you, what your values are, what, what excites you, what your passions are. But if you keep on saying yes to everything as your career evolves, you're going to start realizing that you're only, you can only do so much and you got to find out what is most important to you because you don't want to dilute whatever it is that you're put on this earth to do. So. Um, yeah, and you don't want
1: to spend your time doing a whole bunch of bullshit. That you don't like, <laughs> yes. awesome, <A> great way to <laughs> get But it takes this a thing. minute to figure out what that is, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely, great way to get this thing started. So uh, let's kind of start with you and where it all started with you. So when did you first get your start in this, in this industry?
1: Ultimately, I needed a, a job in high school, um, and my sister hooked me up with a baker that needed a dishwasher. Um, and I, and I showed up on time and I washed the dishes properly. And after the shift, he'd, he'd give me a rolling rock or two. And I I felt like I had it made in the shade, you know? Um, and that, that sort of turned into me helping out when there weren't very many dishes to wash. And I, I made a batch of brownies that blew this guy's socks off. And then I was a baker. Um, And it was, it was a French style, you know, pastry, pastry shop, you know, baguettes and boules and then little, little cakes and croissants and shit like that. Um, and I was a typical teenage shithead who didn't really appreciate the level of skill that the guy I was working for had. And to this day, I regret not soaking up more information from this guy, but I I did, I did an okay job. I learned a lot. Um, and I took some of it with me, even all these 20 years later.
0: So reflecting back at that time, just getting into this industry, what were the biggest lessons you learned from this baker?
1: Well, you know, he was, uh, he was pretty young at the time. He was, I guess, 28 or 29. He went to the CIA and then was, you know, um, an executive pastry chef for four seasons, I think. And, his name was Jack Kostrup, and his pastry, his shop's called Mirabelle Pastry in Champaign, Illinois. And he was a bit of a nut. Um he was a gun enthusiast. He had guns hidden everywhere. Um I am I'm personally not. So that was a little jarring. Um but he was into conspiracies and things like this. And and one of the things that he instilled in me was that, you know. At the end of the day, when the shit hits the fan, people are, you know, people got to eat. So it's a, it's a good industry to be a part of. It's a good craft to get to know because you never know yeah. when uh, the apocalypse is going to happen and, and <laughs> you're going to be cooking, cooking over a, a, an oil drum in some, you know, barren wasteland feeding the hungry. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> that, that was, that was his, that was his security blanket. I think like at the end of the day, I can make bread. Ultimately it's true. People got to eat. So there's always some level of job security, I suppose.
0: Awesome. So at what point would you say you transition from a, for now job to maybe this might be your career? When did this kind of come into frame for you?
1: Well, um, not until much later. I, I, uh, I grew up and my mom had a very, very serious food allergy to a bunch of stuff that basically made going out to eat or buying, you know, prepackaged foods impossible. So we, we were a, a cook from scratch house and we all pitched in and all, you know, she's an amazing cook and is to this day and very inspiring. And, um, so I sort of by default and accidentally learned some pretty basic food knowledge and cooking techniques, um, and so that's, that's probably what helps me get, you know, away from the dish pit. But, uh, um, then I, then I, you know, I, how, how wholesome is this blog? <laughs>
0: uh, this podcast man it, it, just whatever is at the tip of your tongue just let it come out I don't like to filter I, don't I, have, like a, to, I have
1: a sailor's mouth you know I dude, live in the just
0: kitchen. be you man be you that's right. one thing I've learned interviewing so many incredible people is uh, part of what makes you successful in this industry is transparency and authenticity uh, so I don't like to polish or buffer man what you hear is what you get so just let it flow my friend
1: I couldn't agree more Um <laughs> As as my high school career progressed, I discovered pot and I started smoking that pretty enthusiastically okay. um and playing guitar. And that really pretty much took me out of the kitchen altogether by the end of high school and into college. Um I bartended a little bit here and there, but mostly I really focused on music and by halfway through college I was uh a dropout and spending, you know, 6 to 9 months on tour. And I did that the better part of my 20s um, and when I would come home I would find you know a, a, a part-time job of painting houses or, or chopping vegetables or whatever it may have been it was there was always this sort of you know touch back to to the kitchen um, and it wasn't until now granted touring was a lot of fun um, I got to see the world and 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 experience a lot of great stuff but it was it was a really pretty demanding and, and grueling lifestyle. It was it was not a rock star thing. It was it was live in a van, sleep on a floor. Um and that that became really just too much and I and I just somewhere along the line hit hit a wall and I couldn't live out of a suitcase anymore. And I I kinda came back to champagne with my tail between my legs and um went right back to that bakery <laughs> got it <a, laughs> and got a job there um and and the baking thing was great but it wasn't as as fun or, ex- or as exciting as i perceived cooking on a hotline could be And how old um, were you at this so I time sort of, real quick how old were you oh man i guess 26 or 27 28 okay. 27 all right um but then i i got a job at a really terrible tapas restaurant um, and it was my first real, you know, experience on a, on a line and I wasn't really terribly efficient, right? The first week I was there, the owner threw a nine pan of tasting spoons at my head and I was like, Oh Jesus, this is a different world. Oh, man. Um, but I really enjoyed it. There was something about it. There was something about the pace, the intensity, you know, the heat that I, I really loved. And I, I looked around me and I, I saw a bunch of kind of burnouts and it's pretty, pretty classic and and a little bit cliche to, to admit that kitchen, a lot of, you know, a lot of burnouts end up in kitchens because it's a lifestyle that allows for, you know, nefarious activity. Um, But I I identified pretty quickly that it wasn't going to take much to get better. Um, So I, you know, I went to the library, I poured over cookbooks, I read blogs, I went and bought bags of potatoes to practice knife skills. Um, Wait, I want to pause job.
0: real quick, chef. Cause I want to make sure I understand you said it yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't, it wouldn't take much to get better. Are you talking about, it wouldn't take much for you to kind of exceed what you were surrounded with because there wasn't much coming from your colleagues.
1: Yeah, I was, this was my first real restaurant. It was a really, really terrible restaurant and, and out of respect, I won't name it. (laughs) Yeah. I I can appreciate that. But yeah, I, I I was around, I was surrounded by cooks who, you know, would, would get drunk on the box of cooking Franzia during their shift or go to the walk-in and smoke weed. And I I just really realized how, you know, no one really cared and it was disappointing. So I didn't want to be in that environment anymore.
0: Where were you? I mean, just coming off of somebody who was touring the, the world, uh, playing the guitar in these bands and uh realizing that that's not the right path for you that you this this living on you know in vans and on couches or wherever you were uh you couldn't do it any longer out of a suitcase how were you emotionally at this point realizing that this isn't the path for you and that you got to kind of reinvent
1: yourself were you stable i was completely no i was a complete wreck i was a fried human being um and it was coupled. My dad got really sick. That's part of the reason I didn't want to live on the road anymore. And I just really wanted to be able to sleep in my own bed at night. Um, so I was, I was completely lost. It was like, let's let's completely start over. Let's wipe this lake clean. Um, I got five years into university and, and dropped out in the last semester for a tour. <laughs> which, which although I suppose I don't really regret. <laughs> but um, no, it was it was definitely a start from scratch period, which actually has happened to me a few times, um, in my, in my life, um, which is exciting and scary all at the same time. Um, but at the end of the day, it, in, in that moment, I, I was really attracted to, um, I was really attracted to, I suppose, maybe a vague sense of, uh, adrenaline, it Was sort of similar to performing. I don't know, you know, during a service, a busy service, it's it's an adrenaline rush. Um, I mean, it, a it different is. kind. Yeah, it's an,
0: it's a performance, man. Like it, it like on the stage, yeah. you can't really fuck up. Like you know, like you're, no, you're on totally stage, accountable, like, you know, it's it's in that moment, like you can't redo. I mean, you can in the kitchen to an to an extent, but. Once you, you know, mess up that first time, like it's going to put the whole, you're going to start throwing, you know, wrenches in the system. And, uh, it's, I can see the, the similarities there, but I kind of want to spend a little bit more time just to kind of dive deeper into how you overcame this, the state of mind you're in, because I feel like where you were at is a place where a lot of people can get into a lot of hospitality, chefs, sous chefs, uh, cooks can get into this place where they, they hit like a wall and they yeah. they might be in a, a dark place. Uh, what was it about you and your situation that allowed you to, to reach down deep and to push yourself to, to not settle for uh mediocrity, to really push yourself to evolve as a chef. Uh, where did that come from?
1: ultimately, I suppose, a sense of pride. Um, you know, I, I, I've always I was raised to value hard work and, and I was raised to, to value doing the best that you can at anything. Um, and, and for better or worse, I didn't have any other options at the time. Uh, I didn't have any other, any ideas, uh, And so I, I, I found myself in, in, in the kitchen and I, and I thought to myself I'm on here now. Um, there's a lot about it that I find really attractive. There's a lot about it that I find kind of fucked up, but either way, I'm going to, I'm going to put my head down and do the best I can. Yes. Um, and like at at the end, I ultimately, I I didn't get anywhere by being the most talented cook or the most creative, you know, chefy dude. I, I, I managed to progress by simply being the first one there and the last to leave and doing, picking up the slack, you know, and, and, you know, if there was something that needed to get done, I would, I would do it. Um, and it took, it, it really didn't take long for the chefs I worked to, to realize that I was someone who they could dump a bunch of shit on and it would get done. Um, because I was always, really enthusiastic uh to do it um i and i i don't i don't really know if that's unique i i find as a chef now and as an employer now um not to sound like an asshole but i would i would i'd be stoked to hire a young me um because <laughs> i had no clue what was going on i know had, I had i'd never had um a legitimate hourly job i'd always been sort of self-employed or, um, you know, finding just, just, just kind of hustling. So I was terrible at negotiating for myself. I always got grotesquely underpaid. Um, and I would work my ass off.
0: <laughs> oh man. There's so much to be said though, by just doing the work and showing up with enthusiasm. And if you're in that place where you are starting from scratch, you're in your mid to late twenties, maybe even your early thirties and whatever path you're on, didn't pan out. And you're finding yourself back in the kitchen or in the front of house, uh, put your nose down, do the work, show up with enthusiasm and just know that you have the choice to show up in whatever way you want to show up. And if you choose to show up yeah, totally, in a certain yeah. way, man, you can, you can flip it around, man, you can totally flip it around. That's it. That's what it sounds like. It happened in your situation. 100%. I love it, man. So It was a
1: real it was a real blessing, man.
0: That's awesome, dude. Uh so you started going to the library, pushing yourself to be the best in this restaurant you were at. What was the next step for you?
1: The next step was to try to get into um the best kitchens in town. Um which I did. You know, I went uh I went I left my my first horrible tapas restaurant and I went to a slightly more reputable, very expensive, modern American steakhouse, which uh, lasted about another year after I came on board. Um, And then I left from there to go to a small um, sort of boutique, modern Italian restaurant, um, which is still open. It's called Baccaro and it's awesome. And the owner and chef there, Thad Morrow, uh, worked in for Mario Batali for a long time. And, and he had a sous chef there named Ann Swanson, who spent a lot of time with Sean Brock and those two, um, whether they know it or not, cause I was, you know, pretty meek and shy and just sort of a sponge taught me a shit ton. Um, and then from there I went to a farm to table tavern called big grove tavern, which is still there. And the chef, was from San Francisco. Her name's Jessica Gorin and she was amazing and a battle ax, um, took no bullshit from me or anyone else. That was my first, that was my second sous chef job. Um, Okay.
0: So before and you, before you move Chicago. on, before you move on, uh, I got to extract some nuggets. Dude, you can't just say they, they taught me a shit ton and not expect me to pull back some layers. Like what were the biggest, <laughs> what, give me like one or two big lessons that you know, to be true as far as things that contribute to your success that you learn from these, these characters.
1: Well, the thing I learned, I suppose I kind of taught myself and that, and then that sort of comes down to, um, being ready for an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So when I went to Baccaro and, um, I got a big list of shit to do, like, and there's a sabayon on there, I remember. and, And that's something that I had taught myself how to make from my trips to the library and working, studying at home and practicing in my other restaurants. And, and I whipped out a really great sabayon on the fly and they were super impressed. And it, and it dawned on me that, um, it made me look much more prepared than I was, <laughs> awesome. but I guess at the same time I was because I knew how to, to do it. But um, I mean, I suppose when opportunities come along and if you're not ready for it, then then you're, then you blow it. Right.
0: Yeah. Listen to you talk. It kind of reminds me of uh, Eric uh, repair uh, and in that book, he's talking about how he was going he's working. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, um, some crazy successful restaurant in like France. Um, but he would be, you'd get his ass handed to him every day and he would go home and he would be on He would, he would get a, you know, like a a bag of carrots and just work on the little details and just like on his own time, like, you know, just, constantly working towards perfecting his craft and what he, he does. And I kind of hear some similarities there with you that like, if you really want to make it in this industry, like there's going to be a series of years where you can you commit your life fully to it. And you're always looking to grow and push yourself and, you know, you create your own op- opportunities and that's that sounds like that's what you did. You created your own opportunities. You push yourself outside of work and when things came up, uh, you knew how to do it because you were doing it on your own time.
1: I certainly tried. I mean, I, I, I spent countless hours at home in my kitchen, you know, brunoing potatoes and carrots and tornating things and figuring it out and watching YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really do think that it's, it's ultimately at the end of the day, it's up to you. you. You have to propel your, you have to push yourself. Um, you can't expect anybody to pull you along. All right.
0: We're about halfway through the, uh, open conversation portion of this interview. And I really want to start moving towards more current times. Some of the things you did uh, to work into one day owning your own restaurant. So let's kind of shift the conversation towards uh, the things that you started to do to create these opportunities where now you're a chef owner.
1: Well, I opened this O-Cart with my very, very, very long, term very old dear friend um our families were very close we were raised together Uh, he's like my older brother um his name is ben Clore and he's also originally from champagne um in 2008 we he was in a similar place uh this is i was a few years several years indications of this at this point. And, and he was coming to the end of um, a filmmaking stint where he, he made, he worked, he did, a, he's a great cameraman. He's worked in the white house. He, he helped produce and direct a, a documentary called vintage about Virginia wines. It's beautifully done. He's incredibly talented, but we were both sort of at this, this crossroads. We're like, we, something new is happening. Um, and we were, we went on this big group trip with a bunch of friends to Costa Rica and we drank a lot of Imperial and cooked a lot of food. He's a great cook too. Um, how old were you at this point? I'm uh, curious. You said it was 2008. Shoot 2008. I was 27. Okay. Um, and you know, we'd go to talk to the fishermen and get lobster and fish that they had just pulled out of the water and you know, it was just a really idyllic sort of, you know, necessary, very, very lucky little holiday. And we both decided, like, all right, fuck it, man, we're gonna open a restaurant together. Um, and then we went home, and I, I just continued to to bust my ass and and learn. And and he went to his home, which was at the time Charlottesville, um, and started jumping in the kitchens too. And he ended up becoming. Uh, a general manager of a really great local restaurant. And, um, he started learning the front end and I s- continued learning the, the back end. And okay.
0: So at this point you're working at, it was, Parsons it was and very Chico- loose or Parsons. Chicken, yeah. And Fish I was working Chicago. in
1: Chicago. Okay. Um, actually, no, this is be- way before that. Uh, I was still in Champagne at the time. I didn't move to Chicago until 2011.
0: Okay. I think, um, so this vision before your restaurant started way back in 2008 with your good friend, Ben. And at this point you guys said to each other, let's commit to learning all we can, uh, you know, yeah. sharpening our teeth. So when the time is right, we'll be prepared.
1: Totally. Awesome. And honestly, I don't think either of us really knew that it was going to happen. We just wanted to, it was mm-hmm. the only thing that we, 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 the idea of working together and building something together is so fucking awesome that we just sort of naively charged forward, never really knowing if it would pan out. Um, That's
0: still huge, Chef. The power of a vision, of anything to work towards. So many people don't have a goal, a vision, something that they get out of bed for to work towards. And I think that is key. I mean, having, even if it's it's wishy-washy.
1: It's interesting you say that because I've always felt so unbelievably grateful and fortunate to have had any sort of idea that particularly when it was shared with somebody else, because that's so much mm. more empowering. Mm. Um, a shared vision. It's, it, it takes slightly less courage. Uh, it takes slightly less, you know, um, gumption. It, it's, a, it's really, it's kind of a, a great little booster. You can lean on each other and push each other forward. I love it. What and a- Not, I'm not, not everybody get that, you know? yeah. Nobody gets that. Yeah. We get to that.
0: I mean, what else does a shared vision do versus just a solo vision? Just throwing some ideas out there. Do you have any?
1: I, I don't know. I just feel. I, I suppose doing it all by yourself seems almost like an insurmountable task. So mm. when you know, I see people who who have a vision and and they they take themselves all by their little lonesome yeah. to a destination. It's it's inspiring. You yeah. Know?
0: That's a great point. And I was wondering if you were going to say this, but I'll just kind of chime in and see if you agree. The power of, if you have your own vision, I mean, there's a good chance you're going to drift from that vision. You're going to get a new vision. You're going to get distracted. But when you share a vision and somebody else has that same vision and you're working towards the vision, they're going to bring you back to it and vice versa. Um, So you're less likely to veer off course when you're you're both working towards a similar thing. You have almost like that unwritten commitment of this is what we're doing. Um, And you're less likely to get distracted and, you know, create a new or different vision. Would you say that's a safe assumption?
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think that naturally things do, you know, evolve and and shift and grow, but that sort of sense of accountability um, is really anchoring.
0: All right. So you're working with, not with Ben, but uh, I guess, parallel with Ben in your own respected places to learn and sharpen your, your skills. Uh, What key things happened that enabled you, that gave you the tools, the resources, the knowledge, the abilities to open your own place. Anything you want to touch on?
1: Uh, Honestly, moving to Chicago and and working for Hunter Moore at Parsons, chicken and fish.
0: Okay.
1: A really life changing thing. It's like the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, Well, uh, I was in a really miserable and unhealthy marriage. Um, and that came to an unceremonious end in Champaign and uh, my friend Hunter reached out to me to to, to be a sous chef to open up Parsons and it's one of those things where you know do, do what scares you um, and you generally won't regret it so I just packed up all my shit with Chicago and he he was in a similarly <laughs> broken personal place and we just sort of like you know the brotherhood of the broken hearted just fucking busted ass and and did some amazing things together in chicago and uh met some other amazing chefs and and had some great projects and collaborations and um a absolute massive amount of fun um i really credit hunter to not just not just teaching me how to tolerate uh the, the sort of Minutia of of chefdom, but also to uh, really sort of be able to, I suppose, um, I suppose carry and lift you know the pe- you know your your team's mood, which is an incredibly important responsibility mm. in a kitchen, and it's one that a lot of a lot of chefs just don't give a shit about.
0: Wait, so was it, You said it was Hunter. Yeah. So you learned from Hunter the importance and value of being able to lift the moods of the, the people in your kitchen. Did I hear that correctly?
1: Yeah. And- yeah, I, I was clumsily put, but yeah, that's the idea. Um, he was the—he's the shit, man. He's like the coolest guy in the fucking world, <laughs> and it doesn't really matter like what he's going through or what you know. Everyone's got their own crises, but. Um, he was like the ultimate leave it at the fucking door yes. and come into a safe place and bust your dick off, you know.
0: Yeah, it's so so powerful. Um we forget sometimes how our energy influences those around us and if we as the leaders come into a restaurant, you know, with a cloud over our head that overcast is going to spread throughout <laughs> the entire restaurant and bring Oh everybody dude, it's
1: in. so contagious. Oh, yeah. So contagious. But equally so is the positive attitude. That's, yep. So it's equally contagious. And you know, it's a choice that you get to make every every hour of every day. You get to choose yes. which path you take, you know. Absolutely. What else did you learn at the during this experience? I don't know. I didn't actually learn a whole lot of like um like nitty gritty fancy pantsy cooking technique. Um cool. I learned how to handle incredible volume. Okay. Parsons was an insanely busy restaurant for a tiny space. Um, I learned how to expedite in Spanish. I learned how, I learned how to mediate, um, uh, well, this sounds really crappy, but, um, you know, gang members (laughs) had to work together that didn't like each other. um, I I don't know. I I just learned a lot about being a leader and and a manager of people. And, um, I learned a lot about, uh, I, I guess I learned a lot about getting out of my own way and, um, getting out of my own head and feeling, uh, as though hardship having hardship was unique. I mean, it's pretty universal. And I think that getting chucked out of my comfort zone and, and put in, the position of working like a lunatic and, and managing a huge volume of food and a, a big team—it was just awesome. It was so eye-opening and, and, it, and it was humbling because I, I felt like I—I—I I, uh, I, I, I got a whole new perspective on the world. Everything before that had been very insular, from being a musician to being like a baker to trying to, to go up a ladder in a small college town in the restaurant industry. It was very very insular in Chicago is a big, big wide open space with a shit ton of different people in it.
0: So you said you helped open this restaurant Parsons in 2011, which yeah. I think is a huge uh, learning opportunity being able to open someone else's restaurant because of that. There's yeah. so many things that come up that you wouldn't expect just get blindsided so easily in the opening of a restaurant. Um what about oh, that? Dude, yeah. What did you learn from that experience of going through the that? That was
1: the second restaurant I opened. Okay. I also opened Big Grove um and I closed a restaurant which is equally interesting. Um but yeah, you know, learning a, opening Oakard Social was the easiest thing ever because I would learned so much about what oh, man. To do.
0: <laughs> I want to transition to that part of the conversation because I think it's key and we're gonna learn so much. But you, you mentioned a couple of things I'm not really comfortable with just skimming over. I, I feel like we can get some value, some additional value in you are talking about dealing with the volume and how to how to how to work with such a volume. What in your opinion is sure. the secret or what did you learn um about dealing with volume that you can share with our audience?
1: Well, it is a difficult thing. Um, it's something that, that no restaurant owner or group that wasn't a chef would probably agree with, and that is baby steps. Um, you really do need to crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run. I think a lot of restaurants really fuck up and fail with their first impressions by, by you know swinging for the fence in their first at-bat. You know, I, I think that, for example, Parsons is a tiny, tiny restaurant with a massive beer garden and, um, the restaurant group that, that owned Parsons, owns Parsons were, um, pretty patient with us. They let us open with just the dining room for a couple of months to really, really get the consistency of the recipes and the pickups and, you know, all of that under, you know, really nailed down, um, until they unleashed the fucking patio on us, which was, (laughs) how long did it take to to unleash the patio? How many months did you get? Well, you know, Chicago really only has a four month patio season. Um, so we opened, I think in March or April, and then we didn't open the patio until I think mid June. Okay. Um, which is good because we also didn't have a staff. It was just me and Hunter and the other sous chef Jake who actually moved with me to Charlottesville to open Oakhart. Um, it was just the 3 of us and one other guy and that's it.
0: So the biggest lesson um, uh that we can extract as far as doing massive volume is don't you don't have to have that dream operation on day 1. It will come. You're you're going to bury yourself if you try to do what the best restaurants in the world do on day one, you need to scale into it. Start where you can start 100%. Small, and it's better to make an impact than try to with an impact with fewer people and doing it right with fewer people and really in just blowing people away, doing few things really good than trying to do a bunch of shit. Okay. Cause you're not going to leave an impact.
1: Does well, not success? only that, but you, you know, you, it's 100%. And it, if we had opened fully, Because we could have, there was a line around the block when we opened Parsons. We could have opened the whole thing and there would have been people there. Um, And it would have been terrible and it would have failed. Mm. (laughs) People would have been so furious with the three hour long ticket times and terribly cooked food. Um, And then they wouldn't have come back. So, I mean, similarly, that's what we did with Oakhart. And Ben was really gracious and patient with me about that. We opened we opened six days a week, just dinner service, which we still only do is dinner service, but six days a week, which gave us all a day off. Um, no patio. And um, and we, we really tried to, to, to dial all of the all of that in really thoroughly and, and ben didn't make us open until everything was ready everything yeah. was ready to go
0: that's awesome uh the other thing i, I want to touch on before we get into Okart, um we can do this real quick and this is something that i've never even heard of on the show but having two team members of different game on in different gangs uh so basically <laughs> that's just you know having two polar opposites uh, of values or whatever beliefs working in the same space. How did you defuse that? What, how did you go about doing that?
1: Um, well, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've been in, in between two pretty scary people on a number of occasions. Um, but humor is really the only yes. way I've found. Um, and it continues to be true. Um, when you know, in Ch- Chicago is a pretty rough place, and, and a lot of places. And Parsons happened to be on an intersection, on the corner of an intersection that divided four different gang territories. And there were a lot of there are you know, this, it was not uncommon to to have shootouts. Uh, last summer, in fact, Hunter was telling me that someone was shot uh, right in front of Parsons in the middle of the afternoon, and and died in front of everybody that was dining there. Um, it's a pretty violent fucked up city and it needs a lot of help. Um, but that being said, we were right there in the mess of it. And a lot of the kids that we, we found to, to work there had, you know, pretty rough lives. And a lot of the dishwashers, particularly, we had a guy named Hilario who was an enforcer for a cartel and he had 19 bullet holes in his body. Um, and so, but all you can really do is appeal to, to people as people with humor and, and care and generally speaking, you can, you can get people through uh, a hostile conflict and, and, give people a little bit of space and, and uh, a little levity to let their blood come down and hope for the best. Yeah, <laughs> I guess Yeah.
0: And you know, I think it ties back to what we were talking about earlier, which is that, uh, that idea of leaving it at the door. Not only you, when you come in, oh
1: totally to yeah. that restaurant,
0: like you got to leave it at the door. You got to turn on that positivity switch and that high energy. Like we're here to do work, we're here to serve, uh, and you got Whatever it is that happens on the streets needs to stay on the streets. It, but it, it starts with you, and if you set that tone, if you come in and and you do that, and you have that positivity, if you have that humor, it's going to be infectious, and you might even be able to. Def- to diffuse a situation as you know severe and as intense as having two rival gang members working under the same roof, yeah, I mean that's powerful, totally. man. I,
1: I, yeah, and I think that I think that by like, trying to lead by example in that, it gives you credibility. So that when when you are very you know serious about something, it's 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 taken seriously um, because you're not the guy who's just storming around in a shitty mood all the time, taking his shit out on people. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man. Absolutely. Shit, man. We're already 42 minutes into this interview recording time. Um, oh, and, man. and I want, I, it does, and it, it's a great conversation, but I really want to focus now on, uh, where you are at now and what you've done with awesome. Oak Heart social and the big lessons you learned in opening and why it's successful in your opinion. Uh, so just kind of take us through that transition of how you opened it. Uh, I mean, first let me ask, how'd you get the capital? how did you do, you know, how did this all come together?
1: That's all Ben. Um, Ben is, uh, Ben's very smart with money. Um, and I am not, Mm. he, you know, he's always been very savvy and hardworking and made money and then turned it into more money. We got a loan from his parents who are very generous and they gave us a very, very low interest rate. Um, we've been very, very fortunate. And it's all, all because of, of Ben. Um, he's made all of this happen 100% and continues to, you know, like we get a rough, a rough month and, and, you know, he's, he's got things like, you know, uh, savings and stocks and shit. And he's, he's always happy to, to dump some of it back into the place if necessary, or if the freezer goes down or whatever it is. So, I mean, there's no joke that, you know, a lot, a huge amount of our success is completely, due to being very, very fortunate. Um, and Ben being very generous.
0: And there's a lot to be said uh, about picking the right business partner who, who is strong where you're weak, who has those skills that you're lacking. And I personally think that unless you're some freak of nature who has unlimited talents, uh, you need a partner to be able to, to, to do it with enough impact to leave an influence and, uh, an impression on people. And it sounds like you found that right partner. Um, and what? Why? Why else does the partnership with Ben work?
1: Yeah, we love each other, man. We're like best friends. Mm, that's huge. You know, he, he he taught me how to smoke cigarettes. Why? Is, why is that? Love, he so- he, 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 literally, <laughs> he literally taught me how to drive. He taught me how to drive.
0: <laughs> that's a friend right there. Teaches you how to smoke. Yeah, cigarettes, he's awesome. <laughs>
1: he's, he's a couple years older than me. He's a bad influence. But yeah, I mean, I he his, his parents uh, his parents were were in the waiting room when I was born. You oh, know, wow. so. It's like, no, I mean, we just go back all the way, and there's nothing but love.
0: You no, know, there's a chef that was on the show, and I think it was Dave a query of Big Red F who came on the show and he said, uh, "When you're going into business with somebody, you got to ask yourself, can I marry this person? Could I marry this? You know, person? one
1: hundred. Yeah,
0: and that sounds like you could have married him,
1: one hundred percent. Awesome. Uh, so what yeah. else? I mean,
0: I'm just gonna give the floor to you, man. What what's going on with Ocar? What are the the things that you did? The, the the reasons you think that you're a success? If you could list out what you're doing, how you're doing it, and just drop some bombs. To go on a, a quick like five ten minute run here."
1: Right, the short the short answer is I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, the so the longer answer is is trying to uh, look around your 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 community and seeing what's already being done, who's doing what, who's doing what well, who's doing things poorly, what 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 do people want? I mean, that's really subjective and intangible. It's always kind of a, a guess. Um, this this particular town, Charlottesville, is kind of an insane anomaly in that there's just a massive number of restaurants for a a tiny, tiny little town And I I think the population here is 40,000 people or something like that. Uh, granted there's a university and that's great. That helps a lot. There's a big hospital, but it's a small town. And I can list, uh, I don't know, five or six really, really special restaurants. Um, and then I don't know, 30 or 40 other restaurants that are doing full service. Um, So that presents a lot of challenges. There's, there's not a lot of holes to fill. There are not a lot of bodies to hire. Um, But what I did was I, I I put my first menu together before I moved here when I was back in Chicago. And I thought, I have no idea what this town is like. I have no idea what the talent pool is like. I have no idea what the labor force is like. Uh, I've got to make this really idiot proof um, because I think consistency is, is the most important thing when, when I guess selling any product. Uh, so I needed to make everything foolproof based on having no idea what kind of people I would find to, to work with. Um, and I've always done that. So I've, I've always tried to make things, um, really achievable. Uh, now that being said, my, my food ethos is sort of, uh, big flavor, simple unfussy, straightforward, but, um, hopefully, hopefully exciting and interesting. Um, so I I, I think (laughs) that that's, that I I think that that's really resonated because, you know, you, I think that we do a really good job of, of if you come in here and get a dish, that dish is going to be the exact same as the last time as the next time when you come in. Um, also, I married a vegetarian, which really, um, not my miserable ex-marriage, but um, my, my new awesome one. Uh, I married a vegetarian, which is bizarre because I never thought I'd marry a vegetarian and she never thought she would marry a non-vegetarian. <laughs> but that whole thing really pushed my cooking um, to become very veg-centric. Uh, you know, you come up in kitchens thinking that like, I want to sear the scallop, I want to baste the steak that's what, that's the shit. Um, and then you, and then some lo- time along the, the way you realize that that's kind of boring. It's not, it's great. It's wonderful, but vegetables have so much more potential for, um, technique and flavor and exploration. And so the fact that this restaurant has always been really pretty friendly to vegetarians has also made it pretty appealing to this community Um, which is just sort of, I think, luck at the end of the day. Mm.
0: Uh, And you mentioned something which I think is worth going deeper into, uh, which is making things foolproof. And and I'm assuming you're talking about as an approach to the kitchen, uh, people in the kitchen being able to do and and execute the the things on your menu. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yeah, totally. And I can't help but think of uh, somebody who has an incredible presence in your community, Craig Hartman who was on the show and he said, you can't make a restaurant dependent on one person. You need to do things that you can train and you can, you know, you want to make a, a system dependent restaurant, not a people dependent restaurant. And it sounds like that's kind of what your approach was as well. Is that safe?
1: That was much more articulately put together. Yes, oh, <laughs> that's absolutely. exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. You know, and, and ideally, you know, uh, my, my goal has always, always been, and I've gotten close. I haven't gotten all the way there yet, but my goal has always been to have everyone in the kitchen interchangeable. So mm. everyone can work every station and there is no sort of hierarchy of gourmage to fry, to saute to whatever it may be. Like everyone is like, m- my hopes are to to have a kitchen where everyone is like interchangeable. Yes. And therefore, uh, sort of indispensable i mean like if you can't it's so hard to hire people in this town it's so hard to find a staff like i have but you've done it five great yeah yeah but touch and go and you know it's sort of been a one-in-one-out policy like i have five great great cooks who i love um but when it's a small team like that and someone needs a a weekend off or a vacation or something terrible happened you know i paid some time off there's not enough people to fill the holes unless everyone can do everything, you
0: know? yeah. So you opened in 2014, almost 2018. Now we're almost at four years. How did you build that? How did you build that, that foundation of great people around you? And I actually had the honor of meeting one of your, I think it was your, your sous chef, Todd, who, man, you weren't in, you weren't in the kitchen the day I came by with Brooks. Uh, and Todd, man, he blew us away. It was delicious. Uh, how, and from what I understand, he's just an incredible cook. How do you find these people? What is it about you that attracts onto yourself? These great people.
1: Jeez, I have I have no clue. I'm, I pinch myself every day. Um, when I think about Todd, uh, he's an, he's an, he's a brilliant chef. He's not a sous chef. Um, he's my sous chef currently. Um, and we have, we have much bigger plans for him, in this group. Um, he's just an amazing, he's just a fucking awesome dude and he's a brilliant fucking chef. Everything he makes is delicious. Um,
0: how are you going to keep him
1: on? I, your team? I don't know how I stumbled into that. Um, <laughs> you see you have plans he, for him,
0: but like what, is, why is that so important to have plans when you have incredible people on your team? Why do you have to acknowledge that?
1: Well, everyone needs to be acknowledged. Everyone needs to be appreciated. And, um, you know, you have to, you, you have to take care of your guys first. Um, the guests come second. The guys come first. Uh, and you, if you take care of your team and you take care of your your, your gang, um, the guests will be taken care of it by default.
0: How do uh, you take care of your team?
1: Um, I mean, it's a shitty industry, so I, I try my best financially. Um, I tried it to... to Reward people as much as I can financially. I, I try to find I, it's illegal to share tips here, um, which sucks. But I do things like uh, when we do private events, we make the tip uh, service charge and we spread that amongst the kitchen. Um, but more than anything, just sort of emotionally, like uh, you know, we're all people, so we're all fucked up, um, <laughs> and we need we need someone to, to listen. Mm. Every now and then Uh, we need someone to sort of like, you know, give us a a nudge or a hug or a push. Um, and I think that I think that the the people who have found a comfortable place at Oakard are, are people who have found, um, camaraderie in that and appreciation in that, like this is a very small family of people who really love each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, and it's certainly not, not just me. It's everyone. It's, It's amazing. Um, and Todd is, is a great example of that. He's, he's a, a he walked right into this place. He's only been here since February I mean, and he walked in to my kitchen and, and was instantly a friend and, um, a mentor and, uh, like a, a, a teammate all in one all immediately. And everyone regarded him that way mm. because he similarly regarded everyone else that way. Yes. Yes. You know, respect, you know, respecting each other. He came, he came in and, and. He wanted to, he wanted to get to know everyone. So he, he <laughs> made an effort to individually talk to people yes. and get to know them. I'm and I'm so happy. And without that, it's sterile. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I and mean, that's, that's a huge, huge part of it.
0: I was about to like poke and prod and be like, how do we get that respect that love? And you hit it, man. You give it. You got to give it before you get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you awesome. can't get it
1: without giving it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's really just, fundamental in any in any human equation you know
0: mm, i love it chef i really do and man time is flying we're at 55 minutes we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsor and we'll be right back with a quick speed round chef you're killing it ever since episode number one restaurant unstoppable has been tracking the most recommended technologies from our past guest mentors and toast is at the top of that list with Toast, you get online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting, ELO, kitchen-grade monitors, and handheld tablets to empower your staff. That's right. No more traffic jams at the POS system. Toast customers have experienced a 20% increase in revenue via improved throughouts, 3X increase in tips from digital signatures, and a 50% increase in online ordering after switching to the Toast platform. Recently, Toast received 101 one million dollars worth of investment and they're celebrating by giving away two million dollars worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with toast before the end of september or until supplies last to get your free hardware head over to pos.toasttab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes you need to use my links Whether you're hiring a line cook, server, host, or manager, hiring is a time-consuming endeavor. However, there is a little-known way to lower your cost per hire. It's called WOTC, or Work Opportunity Tax Credit. By hiring qualified workers from certain target groups, such as veterans, SNAP recipients, and individuals living in empowerment zones, you can potentially receive thousands of dollars in tax returns hire me is all about maximizing employer effort and watsy is one great way to do just that if you want to be guided through the watsy process every step of the way visit restaurants unstoppable dot hire that's hire me h i g h e r m e And if you contact hiring me about Watsi services for a limited time offer, you will receive three months of free hiring software. Get on it. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef, is what is your it factor, habit, trait, characteristic, anything you believe most contributes to your success? Anxiety. Anxiety contributes to your success. Okay, we got to dive into that one.
1: I'm sorry. Um, no, just the just the sort of uh the the need to be doing the best you can. The need to be doing and, the and, best and you can. yeah, and I, I get very anxious if I don't feel as though I'm trying at least my I don't necessarily need to be achieving my best, but I need to be trying. Awesome.
0: And uh what is your biggest weakness?
1: Anxiety. <laughs> All right. And how does that hurt you? <laughs> oh God second guessing um uh insomnia all that shit man you know when you're trying when you're when your whole goal and task is to create something for people to enjoy um it's stressful. So, so it sounds it's like it's stressful even even though it's not. It's just food at the end of the fucking day. It's just yeah. food. So you sound but it fucking matters like a <laughs> motherfucker. It's your reputation, it's
0: your livelihood. How have you found that balance between having it be what drives you and what keeps you successful and what how you know, on the other the flip side it you know, it breaks you down, it it drains you. How do you find that balance?
1: My family, mm. my wife and my kids. And how do they help? It's just it they're just like fucking awesome. They're just like a, uh, they're just like a valiant pill. Like I come home after a rough day and then have my wife who's wonderful and loving and supportive and patient and understanding and my kids who are a blast and insane and funny. And when you see the world through the eyes of a two and a half year old, you just don't give a shit about the petty stuff.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Uh, what is one piece of advice you have on leadership?
1: Um, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. What a poet, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm t- really <laughs> just so articulate. Don't be a dick. I think that you have to, uh, I think that something that I, I take very seriously is, is the idea that each individual needs to be um, spoken to or listened to or treated individually. Mm. Um, there is no blanket, there is no blanket, uh, mode of 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 leading awesome
0: what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're building that team
1: um well i always ask people if uh i always ask people what kind of music they listen to what are you looking for i'm really i'm tired of this answer Anything but country.
0: <laughs> Why does that piss you off?
1: It, um, well, because it's a cop-out. Yeah. And what I think what they mean when they say anything but country is anything but Nashville pop, but I'm not sure. But it, to me, it's a, it's a thoughtless answer. And so it's a question that some people, uh, whether they're music people or not, um, think about for half a second and then have a semi-thoughtful answer before just simply saying anything but country. <laughs> um, because I think that being a thoughtful person is, is really important in this line of work. I love it.
0: Beautiful. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today?
1: Um, shoot. I mean, there isn't much. Everything's really great. I'm really fucking lucky. I guess staffing staffing is always really hard. There's just not enough bodies to go around in this place. And, and also, also, uh, you know, people are, are, are different. You know, they don't, I think that the idea, I think that the industry is realizing that you can't just pay people pennies and dimes to work their asses off. Uh, I think that people are starting to become less and less tolerant of that expectation and rightly so.
0: And how are you overcoming this? How are you dealing with this this hurdle?
1: Um, well, I think the 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 model of you know uh, food costs and labor costs is, is deeply antiquated. Um, I think that uh, you have to expect to pay more in labor, and you have to expect to pay more in food costs. I think that the the, the the general diner is expecting more and more and more, and there are less and less pennies to go around, and you have to sort of expect to have less and less pennies in your bank account in your pocket at the end of the day. Mm, yeah. And you know, what, so long as so long as you pay your bills and you pay your your staff, that's, that's about as much as you can ask for out of one restaurant.
0: Yeah. And you know, I've I've heard something along the lines, I think it people I think they're afraid to charge what something's worth. And I think a lot of us yeah. uh you know, we are afraid of not putting the the value of something on the menu that reflects all the work and the people that go into making that thing. And if if you charge what something's worth and you can pay the people what they're worth, um, you're going to be the best. And when you're the best in your town or whatever it is, you'll, people will find you. It might take a while, True. but it, it, if you start, you know, man, if, if you are valuable, people will pay for what, you're
1: putting out, and, and I, I think that you're right. Ultimately, it's yeah, scary, it's to, scary. to get there. Yeah,
0: and it, you're rolling the dice, but it might not happen overnight. But if you hold true to providing that value, and you're going to need the best people to be able to put that value out, um, and if, if you if you can pull it off, if you're number one, it's totally worth it because people will pay for number one.
1: It's true. It's true, and you get to decide number one of what. Yep, yep. you can. You, number one doesn't necessarily need three Michelin stars. Um, you know, you can, you can have the number one fried chicken and it's, people will buy it. (laughs) Exactly.
0: All right. So, uh, what is one book that's a must read that will make us better people or restaurant owners?
1: Mm. Well, instead of listing, you know, setting the table or, uh, (laughs) or um, Heat, or Kitchen Confidential, whatever. I'm going to say People's History of United States of America and Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides.
0: So the People's History of United States of America and Middlesex, is that one title?
1: No, Middlesex is a different book. Sorry. It's okay. Middle. I'm just taking
0: notes, uh, and I'll have these books in the show notes. Head over to restaurantunstoppable. dot com slash three seventy six. You'll find those books there. Um, are these on Audible? Do you know?
1: I would not be surprised. All right.
0: Well, if they are on Audible, head over to audibletrial. dot com slash unstoppable. You can get those books for free, and you are supporting the show when you do that. So, thank you in advance. And what is one piece of technology you've adopted and? In- uh, how is it influencing your operations, whether it's improving communication, efficiencies, profitability? Uh, what are you excited about?
1: <laughs> this is going to be so boring. Google Drive. That's not
0: boring. It's a great tool. How are you using it?
1: It's so good. Oh, we, we use it for, you know, our, our, our calendars, shared recipes, inventories, tracking invoices, um, p ls uh, ship notes, um, everything.
0: And the great thing about it is it's free. It's fucking free, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, here you go. Yep. We did it for you. Here you go. <laughs> awesome.
0: Great. Um, and I, you know what, I forgot to ask, I usually do ask this, but I was kind of taken back because this is the first time these books have been mentioned on the show. But what is it about the people's history of the USA in the Middlesex? Or is it middle, what was it, Middlesex?
1: Middlesex. Middlesex is a, uh, a fictional novel about a, um, a family immigrating to America from not Greece, but somewhere near Greece, I can't remember. I read it a long time ago. Um, And the main character is a transsexual girl and it's about her cultural shock of moving to a new country and figuring out how she doesn't fit in in a huge number of ways. Um, but it's beautifully written. It's very thoughtful and provoking, um, and humane.
0: What are the lessons? Like what, why will this make us better? People?
1: It's just a beautifully humane book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a, it's a wonderful examination of the human condition and it's, it's, it's deeply touching and, and challenging. Beautiful and if you don't have empathy after reading that book, then you're dead inside. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and what about um, the people's history of USA? What was the lesson in that book?
1: Equally challenging, um, but not fictional at all. It's, it's about um, the African-American experience in America, and it's unflinching and straightforward and honest and devastating. And it's not the really kind of pg-13 review that we all got in middle school and high school um and i think it's i think it's must read stuff particularly nowadays man yeah with all the shit that's going on Um, absolutely
0: you know the, the key word for me that stood out in all that was empathy and i think empathy is a skill that can be learned uh it tends to be more instinctual for some people but it's a skill that can mm-hmm. be learned and it's such a powerful skill to have in this industry when uh, you know just for so many reasons um,
1: that's, it's that's so necessary
0: yeah, absolutely Cool. Uh, okay, so with all the knowledge you have now, Chef, if you could go back in time, maybe back to when you were first opening Oakart or taking your role at the uh, Parsons, uh, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would that
1: advice be? Start saving. <laughs> yep. Why? Start saving because there's Jesus, man. time flies time whips by and before you know i'm 37 and i you know i need to figure out how to you know retire put kids through college like i don't have a single penny to my name and it's just because i'm really shitty with money um and of course i spent the last 15 years getting paid literally like nothing so uh budget yourself Cache's live within team. your means and save money, man. Yep. Uh, um, other, other than that, I would say, pace yourself. Awesome.
0: And, uh, one book that I think is a must read for anybody who's like you and I, <laughs> cause I'm awful with money too. And I'm learning is, uh, is, oh man, uh, rich dad, poor dad by I think guy Kawasaki. Uh but oh, man. It, it's a great book. Uh and it's a book about what this guy learned from his two dads. One dad was rich, one dad was poor, and the lessons of how to handle money and just life lessons. And it's it's a great book that teaches you about the- you know, ass, assets versus liabilities and how to set yourself with assets. It's a great, it's a
1: great. Oh review. my God. I'm going to audible right now and I'm going to get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'll have that link to the, in the show notes too. Uh, and uh, <laughs> what is one question I could have asked you that would have added more value to this interview or a conversation or a topic we could have discussed? Maybe something we didn't get to talk about that you're hoping we did.
1: Um, I don't know, man. I thought it was really a. A very honest and, like you said, transparent, organic conversation. It was really enjoyable. Um, I don't know. I don't have any nuggets of of gold up my sleeve to to, to bestow. I think that uh, I think that when a conversation ha- happens as authentically, then you, there's there's really nothing nothing left out. Mm.
0: Awesome. Well, chef, man, this was great. Uh, I've had an awesome time talking to you, sharing your story, learning uh, what you know to be true about this industry. And we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator or owner, somebody you admire in this industry, maybe a mentor to you, and somebody you think would be a great guest mentor on the show for all of us to learn from? Uh,
1: Todd Grieger. Is that... That's your... I know that. I know that. uh, I guess he's not independent. All right, Mike Sheeran.
0: Mike Sheeran. Tell us a little more about him.
1: Mike Sheeran is a great dude. I, I worked for him a little bit um, with him in Chicago. Mike Sheeran worked for Paul Kahn. He won Michelin Star for Blackbird. Uh, he's food and wine's best new chef, I don't know, in 2013, maybe, 11. He's a, he's a wild man. He was Wiley Dufresne's sea chef for a long time okay. he's he's a fucking lunatic and <laughs> right right he's 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 opened and closed a shit ton of restaurants um he's wildly fun wildly talented and and just an unhinged man mike, um mike sharon michael sharon yeah
0: i'm coming after you mike i'd love to get you on the show go. and uh, let the go folks, for mike sharon <laughs> let the let the folks know uh how can we connect with you if we want to follow what you're doing on social media, maybe we want to email you, find out how to get a job to learn underneath you. What's the best way to connect?
1: Man, I'm so inept. Um, probably Instagram, Ah. (laughs) Instagram or, or Facebook, some shit like that. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Luddite man. A what? A Luddite.
0: I don't even know what that means. I'm not going to lie.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I'm very challenged when it comes to oh. uh, technology and computers and all that stuff. I work in my hands. I hear you, man. Um,
0: we'll put the links yeah. in the show notes, uh, how to connect with you and uh, the links to the website along with the summary of today's discussion, a link to the books that were mentioned on the show. Again, this is restaurants, com slash three seventy six. If you head over there, you'll find all the links right there. And chef, Tristan, thank you so much for coming on the show, for opening up, being really honest, man. Like You got raw, you were transparent, you let us in, and you shared what you know to be true about success in this industry. Uh, You got a big heart, I can tell. And just thank you so much for giving us your time. And man, there is no questioning, you are unstoppable.
1: Eric, thank you so much for having me, man. This was a blast. This really was. It was my pleasure.
0: Cheers. We'll cut it there. Uh, dude, that was great, All right, brother. You, you crushed it, man. That was a good one. Uh, why? Because chef Tristan opened up, man. He was raw. He was genuine. He was authentic. We got the real chef Tristan today and he touched on so many things that are so real in our industry. Uh, just the fact that we're going to hit hurdles, you know, we're going to hit hurdles. Things aren't going to be great. And we are surrounded by drugs and alcohol and we can be consumed by those things. And at the end of the day, we need to choose to be great. We need to not let those things take control of our lives. And it sounds like he saw that he was in a position where uh, he kind of hit the end of his journey in one career as a guitar player, a guitarist, I guess the right terminology. Uh, And he found himself back in the kitchen doing something else that he loves. And he looked around and he saw a lot of burnt out people and he chose to take a different path to pursue his craft, learn the most about his craft. And he made opportunities happen in his life. If you're listening to this, and you're at a dead end and things aren't coming to fruition fruition for you know that you have control. You can, you can take control of the direction you want to take your life. If you show up with enthusiasm, like he did to learn, to grow, to lift up those around you and to really just be of value uh, to others uh, is that's the big lesson I took from today's conversation is you have the choice. Uh, it's going to be hard work. It's that easy and it's that hard, though. You have to choose every day to show up and bring it, and that's going to be hard. I'm dealing with that right now myself, man. This podcast, I love everything I'm doing about it, but it's hard. Three episodes a week, I I I come short. I came short last week, and I was not happy with myself. Oh, We're going to fall. We're going to miss our goals, but that doesn't define you. What defines you is what you choose to do about it. Like Chef said, uh, it's that anxiety of, Showing up and, and, and being awesome. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be hard, but what you do after you're, you fall down is what defines you. Uh, so if you've fallen, you can get back up. You can show up every day and choose to be great. It's in you. And uh, that was a big lesson for me today. And if you guys are finding value in this podcast, if you are enjoying it, if you think that it can help others, Please, I ask you to share it with anybody and everyone you know who's aspiring to do great things in the hospitality industry. And uh, you can connect with me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. That's Eric with the C. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what your challenges are. I'll try to get an expert on the show if I don't have your answers. Uh, I'll find the I'll find the expert. I'll find the person with the answers. We'll learn together. Uh, Social media, Eric at restaurant. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Social media, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook slash restaurants unstoppable. And again, special thank you to Brooks Tanner, Curtis Shaver and Sean Dart. Uh, Met those guys, drove down to Charlottesville for a day and a half. Yeah, like nine hours each way, 18 hours on the road. But man, I'll tell you, it was worth every second. And I learned so much from these guys about just the power of having each other's back, the power of camaraderie, that the, the power of your network, and the power of just doing good and being an amazing person to others. And when you show up every day to be a great person, to, to serve those around you, to have each other's back... In this industry, it's so tight-knit, man. It will come back around. It will serve you in the brotherhood among these guys in Charlottesville, the girls and these guys in Charlottesville. Man, it was just eye-opening. The farms, not even just the the chefs and and the the restaurant owners, but the, the relationships they have with the farms. We went to this incredible farm autumn and olive farm uh, a a pig farm and what these people are doing uh, the care they put into raising sustainably raising these pigs I'm telling you these pigs have one bad day in their life and it's slaughter day but other than that like they got it good these pigs are living good Uh, they're creating incredible products over there Uh, beautiful situation the hospitality these farmers showed these chefs they hosted this gigantic farm uh or Chef Appreciation Dinner and Man the Love in this community is something to be um appreciated and admired. Uh Chef Brooks Tanner, thanks for inviting me out there. Again, Chef Curtis Shaver, thanks for hosting. And uh Dave or Sean Dart, who helped me with some advice on recording. He's uh, I don't know, he's, he's like a master uh yeah, there's a name for it, uh technician audio technician i'm sorry sean i'm not doing you justice but thank you for your help i'm taking your advice right now i recorded this episode on the advice you gave me and i think the audio quality was pretty good so we're always looking to improve and um man i'm talking too much now but uh you're gonna hear a few more episodes from the folks over at or over in charlottesville and they're gonna be good ones because i'm telling you that the hearts and these people are massive and they're just great and uh, i can't wait to deliver those episodes but That's enough for today. Uh, If you guys want me to come to your city and you want to show me around and help me connect with some incredible people, I'm all for it. Again, E-R-I-C at restaurantunstoppable.com. Shoot me an email. And uh, I love you guys all so much. Thanks for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.